Welcome to our Friday Five Live podcast hosted by Meg Foster. Meg has spent 20 years in higher education focused on student success initiatives and working in areas such as orientation, faculty development, online learning, student leadership, and first-year initiatives. Well, welcome everyone to our Friday Five Live. I have that it is 12 noon Eastern, so we will go ahead and get started um, here today. We are so thrilled to have you all with us. Um, and uh, my name is Meg Foster, I'm your host for today. And I was sharing with Chantel, I do feel like this is kind of the meeting of the, the Piedmonts. Um, I'm at Piedmont Virginia Community College, where I'm a first-year experience instructor, um, and we're thrilled to get to have with us today Dr. Chantel Strickland-Davis, um, who comes to us um, from um, Charlotte, North Carolina, where the weather is beautiful, and um, it's at Central Piedmont um, Community College. Uh, she serves as the Associate Vice President of Organizational Learning and Development, um, and really, uh, I, I've was intrigued by some work Chantel has been doing um, and um, excited to have her share with us today. Um, just as a reminder to our listening audience, feel free to put in questions into our chat. Um, we love hearing from you all or share with us where you're listening from today. Um, you know, if you've listened in before, you know, Innovative Educators is a little weather obsessed. So always happy to hear about the weather in your neck of the woods. Um, uh, we were having a great conversation about college football. So if you're excited about a particular game this weekend, um, feel free to, to share that uh, with us as well. So welcome, welcome. And Chantel, thank you so much um, for your time on a, a busy Friday. I know it's a, a busy time of the year. Um, we're just really thrilled to have you with us and to have this conversation. Well, I am very, very happy to be here and love talking about how we can support our faculty and our students and all of our educators. So it's really a pleasure to be here today. And we're going to really kind of try to focus our conversations around some some work that you did um, recently, um, present kind of a series, I guess, for lack of a better word, um, mm -hmm. around this concept of cultural strengths, particularly as it relates to first generation students. And I I think that's a, such a an intriguing conversation. You, you know, we've. I spend a lot of my time kind of looking at higher ed from like the thirty thousand foot perspective, so to speak. And you know, we know that. Um, there's a large percentage of our students who are coming to us who are first generation. Um, and I think institutions are really looking to be more creative in the ways that they're supporting um, our first gen students in particular. So just to kind of kick us off. So you're really looking um, through this lens of cultural strengths teaching approach. And I think this is just, when, when I, I read about this, I, it made me really pause and think about, oh, what am I doing in my own classes and how can I, um, you know, be better at this? So could you kind of define for us, what does that mean? Yes, I'm happy to. Um, I also want to, I want to start off uh, real quick, Meg, um, to just give a little credit um, before I get into this, um, just because I think that's important. But um, one of our graduate students at New Jersey City University, Ellen Wasserman, this is part of her uh, dissertation research. And she introduced this concept to me. I had, hadn't even heard of it mm -hmm. um, before because she knows of my interest in um, inclusive and culturally responsive teaching practices. So this was a, a joint effort with Ellen and I to uh, pull together that series. So I want to make sure I give her credit, but also to the authors um, of the cultural strengths framework 
um, Chavez and Longerbeam, they have a, a book teaching to the cultural strengths um, framework that could really, you know, if you're interested in learning more about it, um, specifically the perspectives they speak to, I think it would be really beneficial to, to, to look that up. Um, but I just wanted to, to share that, um, that this is like a truly a concept and a framework. And so um, really important for us to support our first gen students in particular. So kind of defining it, um, you know, as you know, in community colleges, we really support students from a wide variety of, of backgrounds, diversity of cultures, um, et cetera. And so the concept of cultural strengths really applies to the ways of knowing uh, how a person, you know, understands and how they learn uh, through various perspectives. And it's like an individuated perspective, which is more, um, you know, on your own, looking at things kind of from your own sight lens. And then that integrative perspective, which is about the community, um, your experiences are shaped by family and, cult, you know, that kind of stuff. So it's really looking at those two perspectives, but in a way that is um, not making assumptions about our students and not um, considering them to come to the table with a deficit. Mm -hmm. So if we're looking at the social cultural backgrounds and experiences, it's really about um, taking that from the student and then connecting it to how we teach, how we serve and how they learn. Um, and just a, a, a little more on the approach that I think is important. Um, there, there is a cultural kind of expectation of higher ed that's really been built on that individuated um, perspective. Um, and so what Ellen and I in our, our sessions are trying to get faculty and other educators to think about is how can we embrace that integrative perspective um, and embrace uh, that they might be looking at things as, as a part of something. Um, they might be looking at things in more of a spiritual nature, um, how their senses are, and emotions are connected to learning versus this is just about me, my grades, my, you know, my learning, you know, that individual. So we just really need to think differently, I think, about how we support first-gen students um, and, and with the recognition and understanding that they may not come into college with college strengths, but they do come into college with cultural strengths. And so how we value that diversity is really how we will help them succeed. I love that. So they may not be coming, I just wanna reiterate that, they may not be coming to college yet with college strengths, but they come with cultural strengths. And, and so how can we then build on that, right, for, for their success? And you know, this is last month we talked with um, um, uh, the gentleman who's the vice president for academic and student affairs at Piedmont Virginia Community College, actually John Donnelly, because the college is really working on being, um, looking at, at things through this idea of being a student um, ready institution, right? Like thinking about not, not expecting our students, meeting our students where they are. And so I kind of feel this is sort of a, a different approach perhaps, but kind of similarly grounded that yes. we're, we're, we're saying to our students, 
this is where we, you are, you know, um, and how can we meet you in this place, um, support you in that and, and build and build to a successful journey at our institutions. Mm-hmm. Um, yes. Love when, uh, and, and as we often find in our conversations, you know, there are these wonderful themes that just keep continue to kind of get woven into the fabric of, of our discussions. Mm-hmm. Are there any kind of, um, and I may be bouncing around a little bit in, in our conversation. Um, and um, love that, uh, please do feel free to put your chat uh, questions into the chat. Um, if you'll make sure that they, the response says everyone, uh, we'll make sure that we all um, get to see that because we would love to um, address your specific questions. So, um, and, and Kristen Seitz has just said, this sounds very connected to Sanford's theory of support and challenge. Um, which was one of my favorite ones from graduate school. Um, you know, that students need that equal support and challenge to be able to, to grow. Um, Chantel, you wanna look like maybe share something about that? No, 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 I was agreeing. They, they do, they need that balance in order to be successful. And the cultural strengths framework is about the balance. You know, it's about looking at the broad perspective and looking at the continuum um, from the different perspectives to be able to shape our understanding about how they're learning or how we're teaching. So I'm, I'm gonna jump to the kind of third question and then maybe kind of come back to the second one, but maybe could you give us some like specific strategies that you know we could maybe use in a classroom um, or, you know, and in that kind of fourth question about in our student services realm, why don't we start with the classroom? Because um, I think that alone is a big piece and then, and then we'll take um, that work we're doing with students in other places. Yeah, yes. So the, to abide by the cultural strengths framework in terms of the academic side and, and helping students be successful through you know, learning and mastering their outcomes is really just all about inclusive teaching practice. And it's really about designing universal design for learning and designing for, you know, maximum impact. So there's lots of strategies out there, but a few that I thought would be good to um, note today is providing, you know, first off, starting with, um, you know, if I'm looking at the framework, one of the constructs is uh, students sharing responsibility for learning. You know, one perspective may be that students feel they are solely responsible for their learning. The other perspective, which is that more integrative, what we're trying to get people to to think about is the students might consider learning to be more community or more um, flexible. And so, you know, just a good strategy would be giving students options, you know, giving them choice for assignments or topics or um, you know, ways that they can practice and, and really help them to, you know, embrace their learning and, and really be accountable for their learning. And so giving them options about how they get there. And when I say get there, I mean, get to the outcome, the learning outcome will really provides that opportunity to be more inclusive because they're taking that accountability. I think part of that also is um, perhaps presenting the information in different ways to ensure that learners actually are getting the information. And so maybe it's not just lecture or maybe it's not just, you know, a video that they're watching, but 
again, giving them choice, but providing them options um, to really hone in on that. Um, another construct from this framework is around collaboration. And so in that integrative perspective, collaboration is valued, community is valued. Um, and so making it known to instructors and faculty that building in opportunities for collaboration and having students construct kind of new ideas together is not just about group work. Mm. <laughs> you know, it's not just about, because the, the minute you say, okay, we're gonna go into groups, people are like, oh, uh -huh. <laughs> here we go with group work because you'll have one person that might end up doing all the work or, you know, you know the, the, the issues with that. But there's all, there's all kinds of ways that you can encourage um, collaboration and encourage collective thought um, and to get your students to, to think as a, a team, um, asking them to, to do different things within their group, setting boundaries, you know, just providing them lots of ways to capitalize on the collaborative nature of supporting each other um, where it's not just about the individual brain. Um, I think one other strategy for faculty that, that really feels like it's to the basics for me, um, but I think it's, it's good to just be able to put it out there today to get faculty back reflecting and thinking, you know, we're really focused on getting our content out there and we're focused on, you know, the student engagement, you know, pieces, which is really important, but we don't want to forget that how your course is structured and set up and you know, ways in which the student navigates through the course in terms of presentation and expectations, um, helping the student stay on track is just as important as the content. Because if they're lost or don't know what's coming or don't know your expectations for how they're supposed to be successful, then all of that doesn't matter. And that kind of plays into that tilting, um, you know, the transparency um, uh, focus where you're just really being upfront and honest about your expectations. There's no need to hide. There's no need to, you know, keep it secret until the end, you know, really be upfront with your students and, and do that through your structure. And that will definitely help our first gen students, especially who really don't know the norms uh -huh. of, you know, how to navigate college and online learning sometimes and, you know, just the expectations uh, for being successful. Uh -huh. And I even think about how, um, you know, I, 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 we talk a lot about how we're still seeing this impact of pandemic learning, right? And that it, when you, when you speak of just understanding the expectations of college, I don't, I, I think we still have years of students who are not going to really, right, that their learning was disrupted. And so the expectation of what um, a college environment is or what a normal academic experience looks like is something we're still kind of struggling, I think, to figure out um, as educators and as students. So, um, but I, I can only, you know, as I think about my own work with my first generation students, how, how can I, then peel back and say, okay, what are ways that I, I just am I'm taking so many notes, but what are ways that I can make sure I'm being very transparent? And we and we do some of those. Um, I'm sure you're familiar, I know, with your work with AQ's 
course on on effective teaching and learning and in, in the um, college environment. And I laughed that, you know, I took it at year 15 of teaching that somebody finally, I finally got some learning about how to teach, um, which is a little horrifying, um, you know, and, and, but was wonderful because it helped me take some big steps back to say, how am I making sure that we've set up our classroom expectations on day one, right? We all understand in this classroom, these are kinds of the norms that I'm going to be crystal clear about what, what I expect from you as far as um, dates. And, but I also hear you speaking about just the setup of the class in general. And I think that's really intriguing because I, I think that, and, and not I'm not thinking like a physical, although it could speak to physical classroom. Um, I know we have limited control over that in our institutions often, but I'm thinking about the setup of for, um, how we provide content in our online environments. And I don't know about you, but I don't know any class now that isn't using an LMS, whether it meets three days a week on campus or is an asynchronous online class, but, but how are we using that as transparent space? Because I, I think that's a real place of some extreme barriers that get put up to student success. Yes, especially if your institution allows full autonomy with how your course is set up. So your students aren't just your students, they have other classes. And so if they're trying to figure out how to just navigate because their sociology class looks very different, then that in itself can be a barrier to learning. Mm -hmm. Or at least, it, you know, it's stopping them from getting started right away because they're just trying to figure out where week one is in, <laughs> in the course. Right. And, and I know that seems like such a basic thing, right? But it's important. It is because it then creates this. I already feel like maybe I don't belong here and now I can't figure my way out through here in week one. Well, then I really don't clearly belong here, which is yeah. not what our institutions want at all. Right. Like, I, right. And within that, the cultural strengths framework, the authors, um, they really hone in on the construct of the role of the teacher. And, you know, for, from one perspective, um, you know, some students will be very happy to say, hey, I don't understand where I find such and such. I don't understand this, or can you explain that? But, you know, for some of our students, particularly those, you know, with, with that cultural experience of shying away from, you know, not, not, um, what, what's the word I'm trying to say? Not, not um, challenging authority, right? right asking right. questions, they're, they're not going to, you know, embrace the role of the teacher as the facilitator, you know, guide, coach, mentor, what have you. They're, they're looking at the, the teacher, the faculty member as the authority, and I'm not to question it. So we have to think about like all of these perspectives when we're designing a course, um, that that structure is really, really important so that students don't have to have that as a barrier. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And I'm, you know, I'm, as I'm thinking about all, and then community colleges, I mean, we serve the community, right? So that, that automatically means it's a very diverse set of, of, of learners, right? Um, and, and I'm noticing this year I have um, 
in my on-campus classes, a higher proportion of students receiving accessibility, like accommodations through our accessibility and accommodations office than I've ever had before, which to me then is now a new set of professional development skills I need to gain, right? That, that I now have students who um, I, I need to do some more work about retooling and relearning um, so that I can make sure I'm helping them to be successful. And I can, I, I feel like these ideas of inclusive teaching practices, universal design for learning is just such a great foundation. I think mm-hmm. that we can all kind of start with. Um, this is going off this set of questions, but you know, you all do such fantastic work at Central Piedmont. I mean, I always feel like every time I go to conferences nationally, there's like good work being done there. How are you all kind of structuring this to help support faculty and staff to learn? And, and this feeds into the question we got in our chat, which is, um, asking about foundational work that's done at the institutional level to kind of shift institutional culture. Um, and, and so I'm wondering with your role with teaching and learning, how are you getting this information kind of into the hands of your faculty and staff? Yeah. Well, we, um, we have had a professional development area for a very long time, but um, in recent years before the, the pandemic, we really took a, a closer look at our strategic plan um, and realized that um, our old professional development area was all things to all people. And we really, if we wanted to see impact on students and we wanted to close equity gaps, we really needed to support faculty in a different way. Um, and so in 2020, we opened our Center for Teaching and Learning Excellence that was really designed to be a hub for all things faculty learning and development. Um, And so since the opening of the center, we've been able to be more mission aligned and our goals are really um, strategic related to student learning. Um, And so our faculty are required to participate in um, instructional practice uh, sessions, development sessions, et cetera. Uh, from the center that where we're trying to build in some of these um, kinds of concepts and philosophies around teaching and learning. Um, We did have a a small um, hiccup in terms of some some things were happening with our technology uh, right after the the pandemic. So we we switched LMSs um, as a result of that. So that, you know, although it was painful at the time, it really was a blessing for us to be able to get faculty to reflect and rethink about how they were gonna rebuild um, their new courses and taking in consideration UDL, um, best practices for online teaching, but also um, looking at cultural strengths and how they could um, provide different instruction and, and be, strategic and innovative um, related to their teaching. So we have a center. Um, We also have other areas um, under my umbrella that support staff um, and our leadership development as well, um, because we're all aligned and under one kind of vision, you know, at the heart of what we do in organizational learning and development is all about student success. So we tie everything back to supporting all of our students. That's just really cool. So do you feel like you're seeing, so two years, and I, I love how you stated, having changed LMSs myself, you know, yes, <laughs> whew, 
when, <laughs> when I was working in the Center for Teaching and Learning, or you feel like you're like a cheerleader for this, it's going to be great. Yeah. Um, just don't think in terms of anything you used to know. It'll be fantastic. But it is a great opportunity to reflect on, okay, what, what have I been doing that's working well? Where do I need to change? Um, how can we integrate new new strategies for teaching um, in an effective way? But um, so, so I say all of that to, to kind of say, are you seeing, I mean, you're only two years in, right? And heavens knows there's been this national, you know, major world health situation going on in those two years. But are you beginning to see some institutional shifting? Do you feel like at all? And, and then this may be a hard to answer question, but how in the world do you study, like collect data on that one? So I think so far, definitely um, faculty are busy and um, are taking on so much um, outside of teaching. And so that can sometimes be a distraction. Um, what we really try to um, share with faculty and, and kind of you know, help them recognize and understand is that professional learning, professional development is just a part of what you do. Mm-hmm. It's, it's just needs to be built into what you do and continuously improving, continuously shaping. It's always evolving, right? Your, your courses are always evolving. And if you are on autopilot, then something's wrong <laughs> because you get different students every semester. There's always new literature. There's always new um, information and ways of sharing that information. So you should always be evolving. And so we're, we're helping them to understand that the center is not there to check a box or there um, to be the police, you know, uh-huh. or their instruction. It's, it's there to support them in being the best that they can be. Now, as far as data, um, we do have some surveys that you know we're doing. We're really mostly at this point focused on um, learning, the faculty member learning, and then satisfaction of programming. Um, kind of in a five-year plan because we want to continue to, as we're telling faculty to do, we want to continue to evolve and, and make more our sessions more meaningful, our, our um, programming more meaningful and relevant. I think we will eventually get to looking at impact on student success outcomes. Um, I'm hesitant to do that right now in this world and state just because there's so many variables. <laughs> Um, on both the student side and the and the faculty side, um, so we're we're trying to refine what we're doing in the center, and I'm hopeful that we'll be able to start to look at um, impact on student learning soon. That's great. That's great. So it sounds like it's it's kind of I, I love that it, you sort of said basically it's baked in right this expectation that you know and and I feel like. Here's a little drum I now want to beat. Like if we're just doing things on autopilot, that's not a sign that it's going well, right? Because our, the needs of our students are complete are, are changing constantly. The research is informing us. Our students are changing. Yeah, I mean, I, um, uh, yeah. So oh, it's like a little drum, Chantel. Just in the last year, you know, especially our high schoolers who graduated in a pandemic and their last year or two was completely online um, and probably 
online in a very rushed, you know, kind of we've got to get it done way, not with a lot of thought and intention because there just wasn't time to do that. Right. And so those expectations of what online learning, as you stated earlier, you know, we need to meet those students where they are and almost retrain them to to think about how online learning or hybrid learning or what have you looks like in college. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, everybody I've talked to this semester has talked about how it, it, it does feel more normal that more people are back physically on campus um, and that there's a lot of excitement. Like students are really excited about kind of all the college activities and like uh, at our institution, people are talking about like, whoa, we've never had so many students come out for clubs and organizations, you know, just this, this pent up need, right, to, to be connected, I think. Um, but at the same time, I'm having lots of conversations with folks who are like, our tutoring centers are overrun with, like, we can't meet the demand um, and for for support um, that students really have kind of this kind of skill gap. And Newsweek had, quite frankly, a rather depressing article about high school graduates from like classes of like 20, 21, 22 um, and some research around them being the most disengaged group. Mm-hmm. They're, they're not working and they're not in school in higher numbers than we've ever seen in that kind of population, um, which is very concerning, you know, as we think long-term about what that means um, mm-hmm. for those students. Um, and a lot of those are the very students that we're also concerned we aren't seeing enrolled, right? Like we've seen massive declines in um, Black men enrolling in college, which uh, we've done several podcasts around um, that population, how we can be more supportive as institutions. But so uh, I'll find that and, and chat it out to folks. But it was it was one of those articles you read and you think, oh, this hurts my heart, right? Like as an educator, this isn't what I want to see. So um, some some really, really good points. These are so I think you're right. It's not the time to necessarily collect the data, but you're doing great work. I just, just want to give you good cheering you on here um, <laughs> around making these cultural shifts at our institutions around informing our faculty. And then, and how are you doing this with staff as well? Like I think about your, our student services folks, because I know we've got probably several on the listening in today. Yes, we have a talent development area that focuses on all, all employees, really. Um, but their, their secret sauce is around staff development. Um, you know, soft skills, uh, skills related to job performance, et cetera. Um, but thinking about the cultural strengths framework, um, this, you know, when we were preparing for this interview, I thought about well, that might be really interesting to um, use cultural strengths in our staff development kind of needs assessment and, and, and mm-hmm. thinking about how we support staff in a different way, especially our staff that, um, uh, work directly with students. Mm -hmm. And so I I really think that reflection is important and um, for our staff members to kind of think about, faculty too, but but staff to think about their experiences in college or before college and what was meaningful and memorable for them or what was not. Mm -hmm. And kind of taking those thoughts about their own educational journey and relating that to how they're treating 
their students today? Um, are they making assumptions about students? Are they, you know, taking what their experiences were in college or, or you know, K-12, what have you? Um, how has that shaped who they are as educators? And then really helping our staff recognize that they are educators because there is this divide, right? There's faculty and staff, but really we are all educators. And so no matter where you sit in the institution, you are teaching someone something. You are showing someone something. You are serving someone, whether that's you know student facing or your colleagues, you're really serving them. And so if we if we look at the cultural strength framework, which is about these different perspectives, and we pair that with folks taking their own reflection in how they're you know treating or serving students today, then I think we could expand and refine some of our student-facing programs. And I was thinking about an example um, to share. And so I, I think I said earlier, um, one of the constructs is around shared responsibility, right? Mm -hmm. You have one perspective that's like, nope, it's, this is my learning, this is, this is about me. And then you have the other perspective that prefers that community, that prefers that um, you know, cultivating of ideas and thought with, with groups. And so we, if we put that into like a student services or student affairs perspective, and I just chose advising because that's just what came up. Um, we're, you know, institutional history, you know, advising is an advisor and a student. They sit together and it's all about that one student. Right, and so if we look at cultural strengths and shared responsibility, and we look at the other side of that. You know, where does group advising come into this? Where does you know advising put with career as a kind of combination program come into this? How can we build a team um, around the student that doesn't just include the advisors? And so we're taking the shared responsibility and, and truly making it shared for that student success as it relates to that, you know, to those course sequences or what have you. So just kind of thinking differently about how we've always done it um, and considering that everyone brings different strengths. And so how can we put that into not just the academic side, but the student affairs side? Mm -hmm. Oh, I really, such an intriguing model to think about, right? This, and, and what would that look like? I mean, I've, you know, back in my career, I ran group advising sessions that were quite frankly, kind of a hot mess. I mean, I'm just going <laughs> to own it, right? Like it was, <laughs> it was not, not like a, it was a bunch of individuals doing something just happened to be in the same room. So it was a group, right? Not a group approach. And if we're doing that, and I think about this, this cultural strengths approach to that, and I think about my students, that might take a whole lot of it. I mean, half of what I feel like I end up begging my students to do is please go talk to, like, our advisors are there because they care about you and they want you to do well, right? Our tutors are there because they want you to do well. There are all these success resources, but when we go as teams or as groups to do these things, it's not so scary. I mean, that's just the nature of humans, right? Like, mm -hmm. Yeah. 
yeah, it's it takes some of that that just that fear away. Um, so I really think that's an intriguing concept to think about. And I I love your your ideas of if we take that pause and we recognize we're all educators and we are. I mean, and and the you know retain. No, I'm preaching to the choir here, but the retention data and thing research tells us students need to make a meaningful connection to somebody right that that's really important for retention and it doesn't matter who that somebody is I tell students that all the time like I don't care if it's Mary who greets you every day when you walk through the door at the information desk like find your person um yeah and so then we all are educators yes and it and from the staff side especially it helps reshape your perspective and frankly, your attitude, because you are educating our students, you are educating your colleagues, like you bring something to the table too, not just about the faculty in the classroom. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Such an important, I think that's an important cultural shift we're seeing happen at our institutions where we're acknowledging that, that it's not just the faculty who own the education, right? Yeah, and I know we've said that. I mean, I've been doing this work for long enough that I have a lot of gray hair, but but I'm beginning to feel it more within our institutions. Um, Okay, so uh, I wanna make sure we get to this one question. Um, So kind of circling us all back. So as we're thinking about cultural strengths, teaching perspective approach, let me put it that way. What's your, what are you seeing kind of in this work as it specifically relates to our first generation students? I think you've done an awesome job, Chantal, sharing us some wonderful examples of what this looks like, how it might work in the classroom, how it might work with student services, but kind of what are some of the results, I guess, of this work, if that makes sense? So I have witnessed a faculty member rethink how their approaches to teaching. And so instead of just being the sage on the stage and spewing the information or finding ways to be more inclusive, you know, some of those strategies um, where it feels like something extra, shifting their perspective in recognizing that students are not coming to them at a deficit. Well, they don't have this, or they came from that, or this is their background. But what the students can actually bring to the classroom, I think has helped her, I know has helped her to look at what, to look at them differently, which is reshaping the whole, you know, her whole classroom. Um, And so that, has included calling on students to share their perspective about different topics versus just sharing her own or um, letting the students proofread information before it goes out widely or discussing different topics that may not have been as comfortable before, but because she knows her students now, and is making the effort to, again, not look at them as a deficit, but something that, you know, a a person that they are contributing to the classroom and to the community of learning, it makes it easier to have those discussions that may not 
feel is good. Mm -hmm. Um, So it just really all ties back to being culturally responsive, being inclusive as a teacher, and and really just respecting the the learning. Um, We do come into the classroom as subject matter experts. There's no doubt about that. But you also have to recognize that your students bring some kind of expertise as well. Um, And so just giving them that opportunity to showcase that it works more, the learning works more as a partnership versus the other way around. Mm. And so you retain those students. They, you know, they're excited about being there. They feel like they're valued. Um, They feel motivated and inspired to to keep going even when times get really hard. It's so, I'm taking notes and keep coming back. This is a a nice connection to um, a comment we've had in the chat here about reminding us, you know, that we're not, not this deficit, not coming at it from a place of deficit. And, and I think I used the term skill gaps earlier, but a reminder that if we kind of reframe that, we can think about the skills that students have gained, right? And in the last several years, um, I laugh that the nine-year-old is much more adept now at creating Google slide decks than I am. She's like, well, let me just embed a quiz in here, mom. And I'm like, oh, no, no idea how to do that. But, um, but as we're thinking about approaching our students, not from this deficit thinking, and I wrote, you know, respecting the learning and the learner, remembering that our learning active, our, the learning that takes place in our, our classrooms, the learning that takes place in our offices and our tutoring centers, wherever it is on campus, is really a partnership. Mm-hmm. Um, if we approach every meeting like that, would I say that one more time? I said, if we approached every meeting at our institutions. Oh, I know. With, with I that know. at the center, to hold that at the center of the conversation. Yeah, it really just shifts your perspective. Mm-hmm. It really does. I mean, working at an, a community college, especially, is a privilege to be able to support and transform lives like you probably never could anywhere else. Um, We were providing that access, but it's not just about access, it's also about student success. So we we all need to work towards, you know, reaching our goals as it relates to our students and their learning. And whether they walk away with a credential or a certificate or a a degree, um, we need to help them get there. So. Yeah. And, and I think you, you know, what a kind of gorgeous way to wrap us up that doing this important work that you're doing is really grounding us, not just in the access piece, but in the, the equity piece that's so just at the heart, it should be at the heart of everything that we're, we're doing um, in our school environments, two-year, four-year, public, private, doesn't matter. I mean, mm-hmm. that's, that's the, yeah. the heart of education. And I'll leave you, you know, If we're not doing it, someone else will. You know, students have options. Um, There's lots of threats out there to the traditional education. Companies are doing their own (laughs) thing now. So, you know, it's really time to take a step back, reflect, and think about, you know, where do we go from here? Mm -hmm. And we have just another minute. What an important thought to, to kind of, end on because 
uh, uh, somebody posted in the chat, you know, students are a lot of people, not just people who are not students are, are questioning the return of investment, you know, on an education. I mean, we're seeing that repeatedly in the news. And so you're right, if we're not doing this work, huh, um, you know, what, what will uh, in our institutions, uh, two and four year, but I know our two year institutions in particular have really been hit hard enrollment wise. Um, and we're certainly seeing some positive gains this year, but but making sure that we are relevant, making sure that we are um, um, practicing as we preach, I think, um, to, to put it more simply, um, is just absolutely mission critical. Um, these are big cultural shifts, Chantel. This is, this is, this is not something we do in a weekend retreat. Um. Oh, no. It, and it's, you know, starts at the top and it goes to every, everybody that's a part of that institution it has to work towards changing, adapting, mm -hmm. evolving, and being more equitable. Well, Chantel, thank you so much for your time at the time of year. I know it's a really busy busy time, um, but I'm just so grateful for everything you shared with us on this Friday. I have taken a lot of notes um, and, and really uh, leaving our conversation um, excited about Monday, my classes and, and, you know, coming in kind of to that midpoint of the semester. Thanks for the little boost as we, we keep uh, moving forward. Um, and I hope everybody um, who had the chance to listen in today um, has a great weekend that there's time for rest and renewal. Um, a reminder, you all are doing important work too. Um, and, and students are grateful for it and we're grateful for it. So. Chantel, thank you so much for joining us today. Have a wonderful week. Thank you. You too. Thank you. Bye. Friday Five Live is brought to you by Innovative Educators. Innovative Educators offers six online services for your onboarding support and training needs. Visit us at innovativeeducators.org to see how we can support your student success initiatives.